Let's pray one more time as we approach God's Word and our message this morning. Father, we, uh, we do come before you gladly, gratefully for the revelation of your Word to us. We say, the Lord, sanctify us in the truth. Your Word is truth. Grow us up into the image and likeness of Jesus, our Savior and King, as we seek to serve Him and submit to your truth, God. We're, we're simply asking this morning that you would guard us from error and guide us in your truth. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So I am curious, church... If anyone here has ever participated in a blind taste test, anybody ever done that before? A couple hands out there, a blind taste test. And these things are loads of fun. You got to try it sometime. My favorite example of a blind taste test was when my wife and I, pre-kids, were living down in Georgia. I had much more hair at the time. And we were, we were experimenting with different varieties of root beer. We, we, we had it all in this blind taste test. We had Barks. If some of you are familiar, got, got a lot of bite, you, you may have heard. A&W root beer, we had mug, and we even had some of the highly coveted IBC. You know that stuff in the fancy glass bottles? Yeah, we, uh, we were doing it right. Anyway, um, it, this is a great exercise, a blind taste test, because it really forces you to eliminate any preconceived personal bias or preference that you literally are bringing to the table as you're tasting these different things. And uh, friends, that's precisely what happened in this root beer taste test, this blind taste test. None of us there would have guessed what the outcome would be. Anyone want to venture uh, a guess on the winner of our taste test? I didn't mention all the varieties now, mind you. Interesting. I have I haven't I haven't, I haven't heard of that. I'll just I'll I'll out it here. The winner uh, far and away of our root beer blind taste test was Walmart generic brand root beer. We we were floored. That was a fun experience for me because if if I could have lined up all those varieties and pick what I thought would be the best, that probably would have come in last. Uh, but but uh, knowing that I was going to use this this morning as an illustration, I decided to recreate a root beer taste test, a blind taste test with my kiddos. So I don't know if you can see that picture or not, but we had a lot of fun, and I immediately regretted this as soon as I pumped up the oldest five of our children filled uh, with, with sugar. And I, I'm not I'm not pulling your leg. I kid you not. We tabulated the results. The clear winner was. Walmart, great value root beer with our kids as well. So don't spend extra money. Um, and, and I know taste is subjective, but uh, I, I'm just letting you know, great value's got a strong root beer game. Um, what, why am I telling you this? Well, we've just started a sermon series and we're asking the question, how does scripture shape our singing? How does God's word shape? How does it mold our singing as the people of God? And last week, we, we looked at the why of our singing. We saw that singing is a very big deal to God. Singing is a big deal because he first commands us to do it. Because we are compelled to do it by his grace, his glory, his goodness. And, and thirdly, we're created for this. 
We are created for God's eternal praise. Commanded, compelled, created to sing to our maker. That was last week. This week, we're going to turn our attention a bit. And we're going to look at the question, how? How should we sing as the people of God? And friends, this is generally where things start to get a little bit more heated. Sadly, when it comes to corporate worship, God's people gathering together to praise Him, especially in their music, we have a tendency, I'm not proud of this, but it's true, as we look at uh, ourselves in the past and the present, just, just inwardly, we have the tendency to doggedly cling to our own personal preferences, to our traditions, to our own preconceived notions of how singing, how music at church should be done. Kind of makes you wish that there was a way, like a blind uh, taste test or listening test, if you will, just to remove our personal biases from the equation. Because here's our bottom line conviction at Friendship Community Church. The music that we sing here corporately as the people of God should not be shaped by personal preference, it should be shaped by biblical priorities. In other words, if you're taking notes, this is, our, this is our simple exhortation to you. Faithfulness to God's word and his ways is the measuring stick for our music. Faithfulness to God's word determines the what and the how of our singing. As you're driving home from church today, and if the conversation happens to turn, as I'm sure it occasionally does, to, to how was church? What'd you think? With kids, with your spouse, and you start talking about the music, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving your opinion about how it went, whether or not it was your favorite, whether you liked what was sung. But that question is secondary to the primary question of, was it faithful? Not did I like it. I mean, that's, that's a fine question, but it's not the best question. Was I singing truth? Was God pleased with the sacrifice of praise that we offered Him this morning? All right, let's zero in on this question that we'll be asking again and again throughout this series. How does scripture shape our singing and and does scripture for this morning's purposes have anything to say about the methodology about the how of our music well you better believe it does let's start with the big picture i think this one won't ruffle anybody's feathers uh, scripture over and over again charges god's people to sing together to, to sing corporately with a unity of heart and voice for the glory of God. Friends, it is a very big deal that you are here today. God calls His people not just to sing blanket to Him, but in our individualistic society, we need a reminder that, friend, when you were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you were saved not, not in a community, but into a community. You're not grandfathered into heaven. 
You're not going to get there by, uh, by the merits of anyone but Jesus. It's, it's a personal relationship, this faith that you hold between him and you. But once you're, once you're in the family of God, by, by belief in, in Jesus, the, the Savior and the King who lived a perfect life, who died the death that you deserve, who rose from the grave victorious, if, if he is your hope, your faith, your all, then you have been born again into a family. And God delights when the family gets together for the purpose of His worship. God delights when His people come together to do a variety of things. But here we see He loves His people to sing together corporately let me give you some biblical evidence and again i don't think this is controversial so a, a few quick scriptures and then we'll move on uh psalm 34 if you're taking notes this is uh this is up on the screen you can jot down these references psalm 34 verses 1 to 3 this is david this the great leader the eventual king of israel and the song leader singing over his sheep and then writing Psalms of praise through the direction of the Holy Spirit for God's people in perpetuity. Psalm 34, 1-3. Listen to David's words. Led along by the Holy Spirit, David sings this song. I will bless the Lord at all times. His, his praise excuse me, shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be, and be glad. Let's stop here for just a moment. Up to this point in Psalm 34, who's singing? Just David, right? I will bless the Lord, David writes. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. It's just David singing. Now look at verse 3. He extends an invitation, doesn't he? To God's people. Oh, magnify the Lord Yahweh with me. And let us exalt his name. What's that word? Together, the praise that started individually for David spilled out, bubbled up, out and over through his soul into corporate praise. He's calling the people of God to join him together in psalm. And we can look at the very next, I mean, we could play all day long here with this together, this corporate singing uh, phenomena writ large throughout the pages of scripture. Let's just go to the next psalm, Psalm 35. I'm going to give you verse 18. Psalm 35, 18. I will thank you, David sings, in the great congregation. Listen to this. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Isn't that beautiful? The mighty David, leader of leaders, the, the, the king gets lost in the mighty throng of God's people. As they're singing his praises. David said, I, I delight to do this. I, I, to come before you and to sing as your people. As the great congregation gra gathers in the mighty throng. That's where I want to praise you. David writes. Let me just give you a New Testament example and then we'll move on. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 16. This is nearly identical by the way to the charge that the apostle gives in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, but we'll, we'll center here. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So you could ask 
practically, what's that look like? What's it look like for the, the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, to, to teach, to admonish one another with, with wisdom? Well, he tells us. One way we would do that is by singing. By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all kinds of stuff, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, the Word of God charges the people of God to praise Him together. That's why as, as a staff and, and leaders here at uh, FCC, we've begun to ask ourselves, as, as I'm talking with Benjamin, our associate pastor, and, and Ruthann, and, and we're just asking ourselves the question as the body of Christ gathers for worship, we've got a new question, uh, and, and this is a question we learned from Keith and Kristen Getty. I, I uh, uh, recommended their excellent book called Sing last week, and, and one question uh, they've taught us to ask as it relates to God's people gathering to praise Him is, how did the congregation sing? Not how masterfully did Ruthann play. Not how scintillating was the sound of everyone's voices or, or, or how featured were the people on mic. No, no. How did the congregation, you, how did you sing? Because it's a very big deal to our God that His people gather to do that so i want to encourage you take this seriously sing loud sing in unity sing with joy commit the songs that we sing and many on your own to, to memory as tools theological tools to teach you about god's truth may his praise church ever be on our lips okay that was pretty safe. Would you agree? That first point, God's people sing together. This is where we dig a little bit deeper now. I want to ask, does the Bible have anything to say about the type of songs that God's people sing? And we're, we're waded into some uh, pretty uh, historically hotly contested territory. Last week, I asked you to show me a, a show of hands if you liked, if you had a personal preference for different types of music. I'm not going to ask you to stick up your hand now, but I'm wondering how many of you, if you were to answer this question, would say you prefer older songs in church? You know, the, the traditional stuff, hymns, perhaps even older than hymns, some of you like singing from the Psalter. Some of us are wired a little bit more that way. We, we prefer old songs with a the theological depth and richness, which we've come to appreciate about that. Some of you might say, here in this room, you know what, I, uh, nothing against the old stuff, but I, I actually prefer the newer stuff, right? That's, that's what's on my, uh, my playlist at home. That's, that's what I appreciate. It's just a, a little bit more uh, contextualized to our modern ears. Old songs, new songs, what's more faithful? What's more appropriate for us to sing at church? Let the worship wars begin. Man alive. All kinds of divisiveness, all kinds of church splits waged over this very practical issue. Uh, as I mentioned before, some traditions maintain that we ought only to be singing old songs to God. As a matter of fact, the only songs we ought to sing, some people believe, is the Psalms, Scripture itself. 
The Psalms set to music, we often call that the Psalter, the, the RPC church, the, uh, the free church in Scotland. That's, that's home base for them. Sometimes without even any instrumentation. No, 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 they say. Uh, hymns are too modern. We ought to be singing only Scripture, only the truth of God in the Psalms. Some people say, well, it, of, of course it's beautiful to sing Scripture. When, it would, when would it never be beautiful not to sing Scripture? But there's also a number of hymns. I mean, you've got those red hymn books in front of you. Oftentimes we put them on the screen. But we, we're fond of doing that here at Friendship Community Church, singing the hymns. And, and some of you might wag your preferential music finger to say, yeah, none of that newfangled, wishy-washy stuff. So much nonsense out there on the radio. And I'll grant you, there's a lot of uh, music that passes for Christian. I usually call them Jesus is my boyfriend songs. It just kind of makes you want to lose your lunch. Some people have a penchant for the old songs, the psalms, the hymns. Others take, as I've mentioned, the exact opposite approach. And they love a more contemporary sound, music that appeals to just the context in which we live. A lot of the stuff that we would we'd be listening to outside of church. Uh, and then there's the question, man, this just uh, turns up the heat on the argument. What types of instruments are okay? I mean, what if we were to... What if we were to have a drum set up here? Would God strike us with lightning? What, what type of instrumentation is appropriate for the people of God? Here's, here's the principle. We're going to start with this. Again, if you're taking notes, I've, I've got this for you. And then we're going to work our way back and find some scripture to support it. Here's, here's our firm conviction as the leaders of Friendship Community Church. When we take the whole counsel of God's word into consideration, we see God's people singing in scripture with a variety of expression and instrumentation. That's our answer. If we're trying to be biblical, we see throughout the Old and New Testament a variety of expression in music and singing and praise and a variety of instruments used to facilitate it. Let's tackle the old new question first because, man, that's a, that's a biggie. It is, just for the record, absolutely biblical to sing to the Lord an old song. I'm going to give you some, some scriptural evidence to remind you of this. So, uh, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of music preference, I hope today your eyes are open to this reality that God's people sing old stuff. It's important and it's biblical. Let's look at some examples here. Take, for instance, the Psalms. We, we've mentioned this already. How old are they? Very, I'll take it. Very old. These psalms inspired in Holy Scripture. This is the songbook of Israel. It was, it was very likely that Jesus himself was singing this as his music unto the Lord. At least in part, the whole book of the psalms, you know this, don't you, is a songbook for the people of God. The longest book in the Bible is a book of music and praise to God our King. Man, that's, that's an old book. Those are some old songs. 
inspired by the Holy Scripture. Man, you can't go wrong when you're singing the Psalms. They're, they're examples of old songs for us. Here's another one. Deuteronomy 32. Like, the whole thing. The whole chapter. And, and I'd encourage you to, to go read it this week. It is not a light, fluffy song. But it's a song that God Himself has ordained for his people to sing and to repeat, to write on the tablets of their hearts from generation to generation to generation. Let me cue it up for you. This is before the Lord gives Moses the song in Deuteronomy 32. He says these words. This is Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse 19. Now, therefore, God speaking to Moses now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths so that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing of milk and honey, which I swore to give their fathers, and they've eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them. Does God know the future? God beholden to your whimsical decisions? Before God leads them into the promised land, he tells them what's going to happen. Now, you're going you're gonna to derail Israel. You're going to go after other gods and serve them and despise me, God continues, and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. Isn't that fascinating? For it, the song, will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. I mean, there's a lot we could say about Deuteronomy 32. Maybe we'll have the time to do that eventually. But suffice it to say, God himself ordained a song that he intended for his people to pass down from generation to generation to uphold his truth and to remind the people of God who he is. Let me give you a New Testament example. Old songs... In the New Testament, Revelation 15.3. Window into heaven, we get in Revelation 15, and we see the Apostle John as he is swept up into this uh, heavenly vision, seeing the throne room of God. He says, they, the heavenly beings, sing the song of Moses. Revelation. They're singing a very old song at the end. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, what's that? Well, that's, a, that's a new song. In heaven, they're singing old songs and they're singing new songs. Hang on to that. It, it, it goes like this. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. So, simple statement. Man, I hope you take this to the bank. It is faithful. It is right. It is good for God's people. Yes, it is biblical to sing old songs. To sing songs laced with the truth of Scripture. To pass them on. These high and holy truths about our, our Savior, our Maker, to the, to the next generation. This is a good thing. And yet, there is also a consistent refrain throughout Scripture to sing to the Lord a new song. 
So before you hop on your, uh, you know, your, your soapbox and, and start wagging your finger again at all those people listening to that contemporary nonsense on the radio, I want you to see that just like it's faithful and biblical to sing old songs to Jesus, it's commanded, prescribed, celebrated that his people sing to him new songs. Now, we, we could go to many, many, many examples. Let me just give you a couple here. So you see, we're not making this stuff up. This, this, is, this is biblical. So Psalm 98, verse 1. Psalmist writes, Oh, sing to the Lord the type of song I like. Is that what it says? No. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Well, because he's done marvelous things. Isaiah 42, 10. Sing to the Lord, again, a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. Psalm 149, 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And then it tells us where. Sing this new song and his praise in the assembly of the godly. Now, where's that? Right here. One of the places that Scripture tells the people of God to sing new songs is this, the congregation, the assembly of the godly. So the point is this. This war that wages over the style, particularly the age of our music, is unfortunately a bit petty and unnecessary. The point is, it shouldn't be an either-or issue. It should be a both and issue and we see it in scripture for us and yet so oftentimes we're just driven by our bent right i mean we just have our personal preferences and our traditions and so so when when i stepped through the doors of friendship community church uh, a little more than a year and a half ago we were meeting with the elders and uh we were talking about a lot of different facets of the ministry here and uh i think it was in the initial interviews the, the elders were like picking my brain hey um so what, what type of music would you sing here if you were be, to be the pastor? And so I, I give them this answer. I think the, biblic, the biblical testimony is to sing to the Lord an old song and a new song. Both and, not either or. And I could see that was making some of the elders a little bit uncomfortable. Why? Because their personal preference, and there's not a thing wrong with this, was to lean into the hymns. We, we love the hymns. We ought to be a hymn singing church here at FCC. And even when, when you walk through Scripture and you see it there, sometimes you could just be a bit blinded by your own personal preferences. So you know what I did for them? After, shortly after becoming a pastor, I, uh, I walked into an elders meeting. We were talking about music that day, among other things. And... Uh, I did my best to give them a blind taste test. Okay, let me, let me give you just a, an example. I, I, I didn't use these songs, but I took a sheet of paper and I split it in two. And on one side of that piece of paper, I copied the lyrics to a hymn as in our red hymn book right here. And on the other side of that sheet of paper, I copied the lyrics to a brand new song, hot off the press. Now, these are not those songs. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time on this exercise, and I thought I would give you a layup here. I just wanted you to see the principle. Now, the first song 
is a song that I'd be willing to wager almost all of you know. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. What song is that? Away in a manger. Nonsense. Now, sorry, that was probably a little bit too hard. Perhaps, <laughs> sorry, I'm apologizing to you all the time. Perhaps this, this has emotional value for us. We love the songs that we've grown up singing. I'm just going to ask the question, if faithfulness is the measuring stick for our singing, and if we're going to be about singing truth here, if we're running it back to Scripture, tell me where you see in Scripture cattle lowing and waking up baby Jesus, who, by the way, after being startled awake by the cattle, takes the higher road and chooses not to cry. I, it's not there. As a matter of fact, I mean, I've got a kid or two. Jesus was without sin, but there's nowhere in Scripture does it say that he never cried as an infant or a child. As a matter of fact, if, if, if we want to say that Jesus never cried, I, I would be, ask the question, well, was he truly human? Right? Now, I don't want to push this too far, but here's what I'm going to start to say. This emotional, beautiful song that we sing at Christmas time, which is a hymn that God's people have been singing since 1882. And you all know it, don't you? We all know it. Many of us know it. Well, it's a song, okay? Jump to the other side. This is a new song. A new song. We're commanded to sing old songs and new songs to the Lord. So here's one. Let's, let's, let's run this through the same grid. Let's see if this matches up to the grid of Scripture. To this I hold. I'm going to tell you this, the song just yet. Some of you know it. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. Is that scriptural? 1 Peter 1.13, we are to set our hope fully on Him and Him alone, on Jesus. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Is that biblical? Yeah, just bleeding out of Colossians 3.3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, friend, is tethered to the life of Jesus hid with Christ in God. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine. Is that biblical? 1 Corinthians 3, 22, or 21 to 23. All things are yours because you are in Christ and Christ is in God. And it's strange, isn't it? That all things would be yours. What have you deserved to inherit the, in, the eternal, imperishable, undefiled inheritance that's awaiting you. And all things are yours. It's, that's a strange truth, but it's a beautiful truth. It's a divine truth in Jesus. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I didn't do it. I don't deserve it. It's just all Him. Is that biblical? You bet it is. Ephesians 2.8, Galatians 2.20. Not by works, so that no one can boast. If you were to objectively look at this very old song, a hymn to boot, 
and this very new song, which, by the way, is titled Yet Not I, But Christ in Me by City of Light, written just a few years ago, 2018, I think it was. Which one of these, church, do you want your children to be singing? Which of these songs do you want reminding you of the truths of God just pouring over, washing over your mind and your heart and your soul? Well, I hope that your answer is not the sentimental hymn fraught with error and theological presumption, to put it mildly. I hope you would prefer the one that's dripping with scriptural truth. The point is, older does not always mean more faithful. The, the opposite's also true. It's not like it's more faithful because it's more contemporary. As a matter of fact, I think there's a lot more nonsense out in the contemporary world when you turn on the radio than there is in your hymnal. A lot of these songs are tried and true and have passed the test of time. What I'm trying to say is that if we are going to let Scripture shape our singing, then the measure for what we sing and how we sing it ought to, ought to pass a basic Scripture grid, right? A, a, a scriptural rubric. And every new song, I, I want you to know this, every new song we introduce here at Friendship Community Church, we look at carefully. Ruthann and I are talking about this stuff on a regular basis. We're examining lyrics. Why? Because we're anal retentive? No. Because the songs that you sing shape your soul. I told you last week, I have come to grips. It's, it's okay. You're probably not. Leaving here on Sunday morning and, and throughout your week, just, just reciting points from my sermon day in and day out. What you might be doing singing the songs so much of our functional theology comes from the songs that we sing friends it matters that we sing truth so i want you to know this here at friendship community church we are committed to doing both and and this doesn't have to be true always but we've set a benchmark that 50 percent of the songs that we sing, we're not going to be legalistic about this, but week in and week out, we're shooting for 50% of the songs we sing to be old songs, to be hymns, to be songs of the faith that have been tested by time, run through the grid of Scripture. Man, on our watch, we are not going to let our kids fail to know the lyrics to Great is Thy Faithfulness and crown Him with many crowns. Gosh, we need to sing this stuff. We need to pass the baton well. And we must continue to sing faithfully in the context where God has planted us. 50% old songs and new songs. And I would encourage you on a personal level, shake yourself out of your rut from time to time. It's okay that you've got your, your preferences. Whether it's old or new, run it through the greatest scripture. Let's keep, let's keep moving. What about, what about this next hairy question? Does Scripture have anything to say about instrumentation? Well, um, although the argument gets quite nuanced, I'm going to keep it fairly simple for our purposes this morning. This is actually, I think, going to be short and sweet because the biblical evidence, I believe, 
for a wide variety of music and instruments is, uh, is crystal clear. I mean, Anthony just read for us a few moments ago Psalm 150. This is how the songbook of God's people Israel ends. Psalm 150, verses 3 to 6. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. I guess it's okay to use trumpets, right? Praise Him with the lute, whatever that is, and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine. Now we're getting crazy. And dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Praise Him with the loud clashing cymbals. That sounds like percussion. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's how God's inspired songbook, the Psalms, ends. Praise Him, whatever you got, right? Use the horn, use percussion, use the strings. I don't know what half of this stuff does. Let your words, let your melody, and, and use instruments, a wide variety of means to magnify the glory and goodness of God. Now, again, we, 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 could, we could talk for a very long time about why there are congregations and there are very faithful congregations that choose not to have instruments present in the service. We want to have a longer conversation about the regulative principle and the normative principle. We can do that, but, but that's not a conversation for today. Suffice it to say, we see it lauded, commended. And, uh, and so I'm just asking the question as I look up on this big stage... Is it okay? Is it okay for us to have drums up here? For the glory of God, not for, the, not for us to flex our musical muscles. We had a choir up here last week. Is that okay? We got the piano. Sometimes we've got the guitar. Last week we had an electric bass. And I haven't repented yet. A wide variety of instrumentation, of methods. The, the test is, friend, faithfulness to God's word or his ways. And that's what we're going to be about here. So, practical application. What does this mean for us then? If we're leaning in to more instruments for the glory of God because he's worth it. If we're leaning in to more resonant praise. What's that mean? Well, one thing I hope you take us up on is the cry for help. We need some help around here. Uh, if you call Friendship Community Church your home, and if you are a child of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we would love to talk to you if you would like. If God has given you some musical gifts, notice I'm not on the music team. But if God has given you some of these gifts, man, we need your help. Help us be faithful in, in exercising and stirring up the worshiping throng, as David says. And he's worthy. We want this place to echo. We want this valley just to emanate with the praises of God's glory. 
Help us. If you're a singer, if you're a musician, contact Ruth Ann. I don't know what I'm doing with music, but she does. We're so grateful that she's here. And there's a process that we have of, of working with people to determine what the best fit is. We're not going to move fast. We've got to know that, that your Christian testimony is faithful because we're not up here just performing. We're not up here gigging. We're here to worship. All right. Help us. Reach out if, uh, if you're someone who fits that bill. One more uh, simple point of application. If we believe that faithfulness for our singing is the measuring stick, and if we believe, which uh, I think is pretty hard to argue, that singing has a way of shaping our thinking, of shaping our theology, then, then I'm going to leave you with this practical point of application. We should be strategic then about what we sing. Now, when we gather together, because that's what we can control and speak into corporately, we care deeply about this. Friends, we should be strategic about the songs we sing to the Lord. And I can't say it better than, uh, than Keith Getty. Let me, let me read to you a quote uh, from him. And this is from that book, Sing, about um, the intentionality of the songs that we choose to listen to and sing particularly on a Sunday morning. Getty writes, if we only have space to sing a few songs on Sunday, we need to make it really count to sing the best songs we can find. Why would we want to do anything less? Listen, he says, we should be picky. The songs we, sh we sing, excuse me, should not brush along the surface or pluck phrases from the Bible out of context or focus exclusively on ourselves or describe Jesus in a way that his word does not. Sometimes you're listening to Christian music and you're wondering if you're singing to Jesus or if you're singing to your significant other or if you're singing about the chocolate bar in your pantry. Some of this stuff's just weird. We should sing, not plucking truths out of context, not describing Jesus in a way that his word doesn't describe him. Remember the, the bold claim of Andrew Fletcher. We, we shared this last week. Fletcher writes, let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. Because if you've captured what people sing, you've captured their hearts. So we ought to, friends, care deeply about what types of songs and from whom we're singing on Sunday morning. Um, I want to say this with grace, uh, and yet we've come to this conclusion as elders of Friendship Community Church thoughtfully, prayerfully, and so I'll say it uh, without, without clearing my throat. It is for this reason here at FCC that the elders have decided to no longer play songs that are produced from active ministries with problematic theology. Um, if you've followed Christian music, you know that there are big, there's a big three that are often talked about. Bethel Church, 
Hillsong and Elevation Music. And although those are not our only ministries that we're looking at with a critical eye, uh, those are among three ministries that we have prayerfully decided as leaders of Friendship Community Church uh, to refrain from singing any and all of, of their music. Why? Because we just big sticks in the mud? No. For two primary reasons. There's actually quite a few reasons. And if you care deeply about this issue and would like to talk with us, uh, we, would, we would love the opportunity uh, to extend this conversation. Myself, Ruth Ann, any of our elders, Benjamin, uh, we, uh, we would love to, to talk and process how we've arrived here with you. But, but here's the first reason why we've chosen no longer to, to sing songs from some of these ministries. Firstly, because to do so is to partner with them financially. I don't know if, if you're aware, but in order to sing songs... Uh, legally, on a Sunday morning, these psalms are copyrighted. Uh, you need to purchase a license to do so. Uh, it's through something called CCLI. You don't need to remember this. All that means is we pay money for this subscription to be able to sing songs that belong to somebody else. And CCLI tabulates uh, the, the songs that are downloaded and the lyrics and the music and all that kind of stuff. And every time, friends... We play songs from certain ministries. It's just a fraction of a cent. But money, which is compiled in mass, as I'm sure you could understand, through congregations all across the world, is sent to these ministries. And if we believe that there is teaching in certain churches or ministries that is contrary to what the Word of God says, then that ought to cause us to pause and say, gosh, maybe we should not be partnering with ministries with whom we are not like-minded. Now, we're not straining out a gnat in terms of theology. There's a lot of secondary uh, doctrine that good, faithful brothers and sisters producing songs that we say, hey, we, we don't line up in every jot and tittle of our theology, but, but when the errors are glaring... And we believe in these particular ministries and, 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 and others, the errors are glaring. At best, misguided. At worst, perhaps heretical. And we ought to say, gosh, I, it's not wise for us as a church to financially partner with these ministries, nor is it wise for us to endorse their singing, which often acts in our age of information as a gateway into their teaching. We can do better than that. Here's the second reason. Friends, this is a stewardship issue for us, and it's simple. If we have a limited time to sing on Sunday morning, gosh, why wouldn't we sing the best that's available? The most robust truths that Scripture uh, has to offer via song. Old and new songs. I had a college professor. I, I uh, went to school the first time for education, and uh, I was in an elementary ed class uh, about you know children's books and literature and and I remember I'll, I'll I'll take this to my grave if the Lord gives me a mind to remember it. Uh, my my professor saying one time, gosh, with all of the children's books out there, and just scads of children's books available to us, why would you ever read 
a mediocre book to kids in a classroom. Why, why would you ever do that? I mean, there's just so much good stuff that's available to you with a limited time. Steward the growth and development of your kids better. Why would we ever read mediocre books to our kids? And why would we ever sing theologically vapid or problematic songs here as the church of God gathers to worship? All right. I want to leave you with this. With an eye to the future. This is the last thing I got for you this morning. And then we're going we're gonna to sing. And I apologize. I, I was supposed to stop and we we're supposed to sing that song. I'm looking at Ruth Ann. Gosh, the best laid plans. When we, when we were talking about yet not I, but through Christ, I mean, we're supposed to stop and sing it. So we'll just, we'll, we'll tack that on to the end. Here's what I want to leave you with. One more quote. This really encouraged me. Perhaps some of you saw me post this a few weeks back as I was preparing for this sermon series. Again, uh, so helped by the Gettys and their work. This is what Keith Getty writes in his book, Sing. If you are disheartened by the trends of music in the wider church, uh, excuse me, if you are disheartened in the trends of the uh, music in the wider church at the moment, remember some of the people who will write the songs, choose the songs, and lead the singing in churches tomorrow are in our care and training today. Isn't that beautiful? I hope that's encouraging to you. There are, some, there are some young souls sitting here or in our children's ministry right now that have been wired to praise and gifted to lead. I mean, maybe the next one to write something like in Christ alone is sitting here. We got some musical kids, by the way. It's beautiful. Let us not lose heart. Scripture informs the why of our singing. Scripture informs the what of our singing. It is worth it, friends, to pursue faithfulness and integrity before the Lord as we seek to praise Him with old songs, with new songs, always with faithful songs. Let's pray and then we'll, and then we'll sing. Father, we, uh, we thank You for this reminder that you are worthy. Lord, you are worthy of our singing. And although there's so much uh, that you have left to our discernment, to our flexibility and cultural context, Lord, you have been clear about so many things, about what you desire, what pleases you as your people gather together to praise your name. And so, God, we just pray, make us faithful in this way. Lord, help us not to care more about our personal preferences, our, our traditions, than we care about your truth, Lord. And, and exercising music that is faithful to you in a way that, uh, that, that speaks to the, what the whole counsel of Scripture has to say. God, make us faithful and make us joyful purveyors of your praise. As we prepare to sing to you now, God, may we do so with joy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.